This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. to spend some time talking about the subject of people and profits. And I want to remind you that we've been talking a lot about leadership legacy, how important it is to develop your people, develop your organization, and also develop yourself. And we've been talking about divine guidance, divine provision, and divine steps. In other words, your GPS for leadership in the workplace. And today, before we go any further, I wanna spend some time talking about the importance of people and how you think about people and how you value people. Now, of course, businesses that are for-profit businesses, they're in the business to make a profit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Making a profit is great. That's why a lot of people start many companies that they do. And in order to make that profit, you have to provide a service that's seen as valuable. And in addition to that, the valuable service has got to be valued by a market out there, somebody who wants the service and who's willing to pay for the service. If you don't have a market who wants to pay for the service and you don't have a valuable service to offer, well, you really don't have a business you don't have a profitable business possibility. Now, when you think about privately held companies, in a lot of ways, they have some advantages because it's easier to balance between the needs of employees and customers and also your profit intentions when you have a privately held company because you're the one who's making those decisions. It's a little harder for the publicly traded companies because there's so much emphasis on maximizing shareholder value when you're talking about a publicly held company. Now, ideally, you want to be in a position where you can value people and you also have high profit in the business. Both people and profit is the preferred place to be. And in most cases, that is actually a possibility. Now, occasionally things come up in the business situation and the business scenario so that there becomes an issue where maybe people are going to be challenged in some sort of way, perhaps potentially put in harm's way. When that occurs, then here's what I wanna talk about, which is this, always value the people above the profits. Value the people above the profits. And some businesses have not gotten this right. We've talked about these scenarios in the past, some past podcast episodes. And I just want to remind you that there's some industries are kind of notorious sometimes for just forgetting at times to think about what it takes to value people. For example, in the coal mining industry, that's a really big one. Historically, a lot of times, the conditions would not really be ideal and optimal for worker health. And so you had all kinds of problems with black lung disease, 
difficulties with TB outbreaks, tuberculosis, because this was not attended to worker health in the coal mines. We also have issues with seasonal workers, immigrants that come to the United States to work in the, in the farm industry, and even illegal workers who come into the big industrial areas to work in essentially what we would call the sweatshops, sewing clothes and things under terrifically horrible conditions and so on, where people just have not been attending to their value as human beings and as people and as what they need in order to thrive in the workplace. And it's because of a lot of these abuses and a lot of these excesses that there became a place and really a need in many industries for unions. And I tell my customers and clients now that if you pay attention to what's best for your people and do what's right for your people, you probably will find that your environment is union proof because people won't feel a need to really be in a union when they know that you as the employer are already looking out for their best interest. Now, when you don't look out for the employee's best interest, that's when the unions come into play to really pay attention to safety and health and work conditions. And as an employer, you want to always be listening to the feedback from your workforce. They usually know when a machine has gotten old, when it's breaking down, when something is dangerous, and they tend to tell you before it fully breaks. So I would suggest that you pay attention to that. Also in the past, we've talked about some other industry events that have taken place. Like for example, when the Toyota car manufacturer ran into that incident with brake failure and acceleration at the wrong time and a number of fatalities occurred as a result. One of the mistakes that Toyota made at the time is they did not respond quickly to feedback that they were receiving and because they were trying so hard to get to the market so fast they didn't emphasize to the same degree as they had in the past, the whole issue of quality. And so as a result, the reputation that they had spent years building and that was a stellar reputation to the point that when the consumer index guides came out, they would automatically give Toyota great grades before even looking deeply into it because that was their reputation. And of course, just by making some strategic wrong decisions, you can knock yourself out of the game in a sense. And so they've had to rebuild and they've had to go back to their emphasis on quality and putting in a quality culture in the organization. We also talked a little bit about the Tylenol crisis in the past, back in the 1980s, when somehow or another a batch of Tylenol capsules had been laced with cyanide. They never did find who did that, by the way. However, about seven people died in the Chicago area, roughly or had been affiliated with the Chicago area. And Tylenol, they valued people above profits. And Tylenol was this company under the Johnson & Johnson umbrella. And so when they found out, they didn't know the extent of the problem, but when they found out about the problem, they decided to pull all of those Tylenol capsules off of the market and they did a total recall. So if you had Tylenol capsules in your house, you could bring them in and turn them in. That was about 31 million bottles of Tylenol in the capsules. So that's a huge amount of money they spent on that. 
And then secondly, for everyone to turn something in, they gave them the safer Tylenol tablets at the time. Again, an outlay of money because they understood that people's lives were more valuable than their monetary profits. And so they made those decisions. As a result, they were able, even with that crisis, to maintain their reputation in the marketplace. In fact, to enhance it because they made really good decisions about that situation. So that brings us to the current day. And at the time of this recording, we really have another crisis going on in the world. And this is the collapse of the condo tower that's in Surfside, Florida, in the Miami region. We understand that this condo just suddenly collapsed in the middle of the night. So many lives were lost. There's still people that whose bodies haven't been found. It was a massive loss of life as well as property. And when you see the building on the news, it really looks like something that was in a war zone. It looks like it had been bombed out somehow. That's how severe it is. And people were saying that for a first world nation like the United States to have a building collapse in that way and of this magnitude is essentially unheard of. So we want to talk about that a little bit. The building was about 40 years old, and there had been reports in the last several years that the building needed some significant repairs. And in particular, there was a problem with how the building was dealing with water. And because of the water not being whisked off in the proper way, the concrete was corroding and eroding. And that was also causing the rebar or the steel inside the concrete to also corrode. So the building is falling apart. Cracks were showing up in the swimming pool and in other places. And the homeowners association had been warned and informed. Now, mind you, since this is a condo, people have spent lots of money for their units right on the ocean, right on the beach. And when some of these repairs came up to the homeowners association that the engineering firm said, we need this, we need, you need to do the other thing. And at the time, they didn't understand that the building might collapse or fall down. That wasn't in the engineering report. However, they did know that some repairs were needed and that it was really not optional. And there were delays and delays and delays because they had to assess the people more funds to pay for the repairs. So it started off maybe $5 million worth of repairs, all the way up to like $14 million because they kept delaying. It got worse and worse, and it became more expensive to fix all of this. So some residents, having already paid condo fees every month, already purchased their units, were being assessed special assessments anywhere from $80,000 to $200,000. That's per unit. That's a lot of money. So many of the residents, they balked against this and they complained to the homeowners association, we don't want to pay this and so on and so forth. And so a lot of the necessary repairs just didn't get done. And that is just so unfortunate that it turned out that way. Now, we don't know all the details in this condo case and more is going to be revealed as time goes on and lots of lessons will be learned. There are question marks. Was the building maybe built poorly from the start and to begin with? Who knows? 
We know that in the Florida area, there had been in recent years a shortage of building inspectors. So maybe some inspections hadn't taken place that needed to take place. There was a law that had been repealed that really required homeowners associations to do certain kinds of evaluations within every five years, and that law had been taken away. So many, many things occurred that could account for how did it go this far. Now, if we go all the way back to the original developer, the original developer's name was Nathan Ryber. And if you look a little bit into his history, he had a big history of all kinds of problems with false contracts. He had all kinds of difficulties and challenges in Canada where he was from. The Canadians kept coming to the U.S. looking for him for tax evasion and for scenarios where he had siphoned money ostensibly from some coin laundry machines and apartment buildings that he owned and hadn't paid taxes on that. And then in another case, he had bought a yacht, which they felt was an inappropriate purchase. And when they looked further into it, it was technically legal, although questionable in terms of ethics or appropriateness. And so he was okay, but not really okay. And they required him to surrender his attorney's license at that time. So he had a lot of kind of shady aspects in his background from way back in the day. Now, in Florida, he was known principally as someone who was a builder and also a great philanthropist. He kind of didn't have this bad reputation across the board, even though all these shady practices in the background. And so this brings me to another point is that what you do in the darkness, even after you're dead, because he died back in about 2014, I believe it was, it comes out in the light. And so now we're finding out a little bit more about what's going on. Now, I just want to say this. It does matter who you do business with. And knowing that this person had all of these issues and problems in Canada, knowing that at the time he was building this particular condo, the local government, because it's a small town, they didn't feel that there was infrastructure enough to support it, particularly the sewer system. And so they didn't want him to build the building until the sewer system was upgraded. Well, he insisted on building it, so he helped to pay for some improvements in the sewer system, built the building, but the, the, the local government would not allow anyone to move into it until the sewer system was completely repaired. So who knows what other deals he might've been brokering back at the time. So when you deal with people where maybe character is questionable, you don't know what else might've gone on something in the foundation of the business deals, foundations of the building project could have been a challenge or a problem. And as I said, we don't know what the real story is completely and more will come out later. The bottom line of what I want us to think about here is that there is no price that you can pay for a person's life. Once a person leaves this earth, you cannot bring them back. You can always build another building. You can always get more money. You can always get more things. But as far as people, we're irreplaceable. And it's so important to understand that from God's perspective, people are the crowning glory of his creation. When he created man and then he created woman out of man, he created them, when she called man, man and woman, man, 
He created them in his image. It's the only creation of God that he said was created in his image. And he created us in his image so we could have communion with him, fellowship with him, and be able to have a relationship with God. So when you're talking about a human being, there is nothing that can atone for the life of a human being. And even in the Judaical sacrificial system for sin, which God put in place, and animals had to be sacrificed, the blood of animals really couldn't cover the sin of a person perpetually. Every year, more animals had to be sacrificed for the sin of the people because the value of people is so high. It takes perfection and something beyond the human realm to atone for us. And that's why God had to come himself in the form of Jesus Christ who atoned for our sins, that one lamb to take away the sins of the world forever, the one sacrifice. And so we as people, even if you take my life away because of something I might have done to your relative or loved one, it still doesn't bring that loved one back or truly make a difference in the grand scheme of things. So the value of people is huge. And I would say this, even if you know something's gone wrong, and sometimes things go wrong and it's not our fault, things just happen. And other times things go wrong because we made poor decisions. Maybe we built a building that was not built well, didn't have the right codes adhered to or the right kind of materials or equipment. So sometimes we're at fault and sometimes we're not. And yet we are responsible. So when we find out that there's a problem or there's something wrong, even if it's going to cost you, it's better to value the people and do the right thing. And most of the time, it will cost you less than it costs later when you wait and magnify the problem, increase the loss of life, increase the loss of property. One of the incidents in King David's life was that he had numbered the people and this was a sin against God. He was not supposed to number the people. And even his, his military leaders warned him and said, King David, are you sure you really want to do this? But he did it anyway. And so he had a punishment. God says, look, you numbered the people. And, and you might be wondering, well, what was so bad about that? Because the people were supposed to put their trust and reliance on God, not in their military might, not in numbering the people. Say, oh, we got a great army. We're ready to go and fight our enemies and so on. God was the one who was fighting their battles. And so by numbering the people, he's really discounting the way that God is looking over the nation. So God said, look, I'm giving you three choices. These are the punishments you get to choose from. You're either going to have three years of famine, or you're going to have three months of having to be defeated by your foes, or you're going to have three days where the sword of the Lord, that the angel of the Lord is going to come down and wreak havoc in the nation. Now, he didn't escape. He was going to get a punishment, so to speak. He was going to have a consequence. And in his case, he got a choice. And being a smart man, David chose the three days in God's care because he knows God is merciful. And if he was out there with his enemies, who knows what would have happened. And there was a lot of havoc. A lot of people lost their lives because of David's poor decision. Because when the angel of the Lord came with that sword, many people died before the that plague finally stopped. And that's also a lesson as a leader, which is this. What you do doesn't just affect you. 
it affects lots of other people as well. The people in your organization, the people who work for you, it affects clients who are depending on you to do the right thing. So when you make a mistake or if something goes wrong that you're in charge of, just fess up and deal with it. Pay the consequences. Be like Johnson & Johnson in the Tylenol scare. Even if it costs you millions of dollars, people's lives are worth more than the millions that you will have to spend. Again, just to punctuate how important people are to God, I just want to just mention a few things from the book of Amos. Amos is one of the minor prophets. It's a smaller book in the Old Testament of the Bible. Amos was called to be a prophet primarily to the northern tribes of Israel to warn them because they had strayed away from God. They were worshiping idols and false gods. And God said, look, I'm coming down and I've waited long enough. You're going to be punished for all the stuff that you're doing. And so the whole book is about the nations in the region, as well as the northern tribes of Israel and what God is saying about them. And he gives all the reasons why judgment is coming. And some of those reasons are because of how they treated people. So, for example, in the book of Amos, when he was talking about Edom, and if you don't remember, Jacob and Esau were brothers. They were twins. Esau really didn't value God. And so he went off on his own and established the Edomites, a whole other nation. And then, of course, Jacob and his sons made up Israel, as it's called. And that was the godly line of the people. But they were still brothers. And Edom pursued his brother with the sword and cast them off without any pity. And God said, therefore, judgment's coming to you, Edom, because of how you treated your brother. And then the nation of Ammon, they were called under account because they had ripped open pregnant women, just ripped their bodies open with the babies there. And the reason they did all of this and they engaged in the battle was to enlarge their territory. So they were valuing profit and territory over people in that case. And in another case, the northern tribes in Israel, they were accused and chastised for selling the righteous people for silver and for selling the poor for a pair of sandals. God wasn't happy about that. And then he also spoke to the women in Samaria and he called them cows of Bashan. And he says, you oppress the poor and you crush the needy. And further, he goes on to say to the people, you tread down the poor and you take grain taxes from them. All of this they were doing to other people. And then he says, you swallow up the needy, you make the poor fail. Then you're waiting for the new moon to go past. You can go back to selling grain. You're waiting for the Sabbath to go by so you can go out and trade in wheat again. So in other words, your business endeavors are more important than your service to me and your business endeavors are more important than how you take care of people is what God was saying. And he also went on to say, then you're falsifying scales. You're using the wrong measurements. And by doing that, you're defrauding the people. You're cheating the people because the scale is supposed to be measuring a pound and maybe you've cut off and cheated them maybe a quarter of a pound on that. So for all of these things, the Lord said, therefore judgment is coming. It's not going to wait anymore. You are going to be taken into captivity. That's how much he cares about what we do to each other down here. And even Cain, the first murderer in the world, 
when he killed his brother Abel, God said, his blood is crying out from the ground. And I hear him speaking and calling out to me because of what you have done. Every hair on our head is numbered. God knows them all. That's how much he's caring for us and is paying attention. So in your business dealings, ideally, and I pray for you in your business, that you will be able to have the benefit of people and the benefit of profit. And when there becomes sort of an imbalance and there's a choice, always value people over profit. So I want to remind you that this month, I am inviting those of you who are in mid to large size corporations and your Christian executives, and you're working in a secular workplace, I am interviewing you this month. So please do contact me to request an interview. You can reach me at Dr. Karen, D-R period, K-A-R-E-N, at transleadership.com. I want to know about your leadership journey, what you're experiencing, and what's important to you, and what's going on in your work life. So please, if you fit that demographic, do write to me, and we'll set up a time for me to interview you. And I want to close today's segment with just a reminder about how God views man and views us as people. This comes from Psalm, the eighth chapter, verse starting with verse four, and it says, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beast of the field the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So if you ever doubt how important we are to God, that's how important we are. And he's put us in charge to make good decisions and to follow his guidance and his leading. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.